0: We are in the middle of a sermon series entitled Basic Equipment, Basic Equipment for the Christian Life. Uh, We're taking some time over the next few weeks to look at equipment that is basic but necessary. And Don't be turned off by the term basic, okay? Some of the most basic things you ever learned in life have been some of the most helpful. You may have learned in kindergarten to not take things that aren't yours and that's really helpful. It'll keep you out of jail as an adult. Don't be turned off by the fact that it is basic. These are very, very important things. We believe that the basic equipment for the Christian life, if properly applied and consistently used, will enable us to, as the tagline says in your outline, risk more for Christ. Risk more for Christ. And maybe you sit there and you look at that and you think, that's a little far-fetched. This basic stuff that I'm talking about is going to cause me to risk more for Christ. Sounds like a lot of pastors are really excited and really dramatic and really like to express what they're excited about. So it's going to tell us to risk more for Christ. But then you sit back and you're thinking, uh, it's basic. It's just basic stuff. Well, I want to begin our time today uh, from the book of Acts chapter 8 by showing you an example from the scriptures that I hope bridges what we looked at last week with what we're going to look at this week and hopes to help you understand what we mean about these basic equipment, these developing basic routines, giving you the ability to risk more for Christ, giving you courage, giving you confidence, and giving you opportunities to risk more for Christ. So take a look at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. This is what the word of God says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So I want you to stop right there. Philip was led by the spirit. The spirit made Philip aware of an opportunity that he would have otherwise missed. So you see the angel sent him on the road and said, go that way. And then he passes by this chariot and the spirit says to Philip, go over there. Uh, Go to that chariot. And the Ethiopian uh, is reading, and Philip's opening line. Philip's opening line is, "Do you understand what you're reading?" Like if you were to read, we're not going to take a lot of time to look at this account, but his his opening line um, is in verse 30, and Philip says, "Do you do you understand what you're what you're reading?" So he would have heard him reading aloud. That would have been a common practice of the day, and he's just saying, "Do you do you get it? Do you understand what you're reading?" The Ethiopian replies that he doesn't and actually needs help. So Philip explains the scriptures to him. The Ethiopian asks, who is, who is Isaiah talking about? It, it's a, he's reading in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And the Ethiopian says, is, he, is, the, is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then look at verse 35. Take a look at Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And if you read on, the Ethiopian believes, evidenced by the fact that he wants to be baptized. And so Philip baptizes him, and the Ethiopian goes away rejoicing, and a soul was rescued from the pit of hell and bound for glory. All because of the Spirit working in Philip, making him aware of an opportunity that he would have otherwise missed. But think about it. What did the Spirit do? Surely we want to give God glory for the whole event, right? But according to the scripture, all the Spirit did at least as recorded here, is make Philip aware and say, go over there. Go to that chariot. He didn't tell him what to do or he didn't say, listen, go to that chariot. There's an Ethiopian. He's reading from Isaiah. It's chapter 53. Go evangelize him. Explain to him what that means. He doesn't get it. Trust me. I know I'm God. He doesn't get it. He needs your help. He doesn't say any of that. All he says is, go to that chariot. And in verse 30, Philip heard him reading about the prophet Isaiah. How did he know he was reading from Isaiah? In verse 30, Philip asked if he understood. And when the Ethiopian said he didn't, Philip was able to explain it to him. In verse 34, when the Ethiopian asked him questions about the text, he was able to respond in verse 35 and open his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. The spirit was at work in Philip's life and... Philip knew the word of God. What would have happened if the spirit sent Philip over to that chariot and he didn't recognize what he was reading? What would have happened if if the Ethiopian had questions that Philip couldn't answer from the word of God? I want you to see the spirit of work in Philip's life coupled with Philip's obvious familiarity, love for, and ability to speak the word of God. What about you? Would you be ready to be used by God in a moment like that? Think about it. If the spirit makes you aware of an opportunity, all of a sudden somebody is on your mind that wouldn't ordinarily be on your mind. You happen to be sitting next to someone that you wouldn't sit next to or you happen to just be dying to go and knock on someone's door who's a friend. who You you just say, I just can't get this friend off my mind. I want to tell them about Jesus. I I want them to know. I want to invite them to church. I want to share the gospel with them. I want to be bold with them when the Spirit's prompting you and pushing you and giving you an opportunity to minister, would you be able to do so with the Word of God? Or would you call someone else who could? See, Philip had confidence. Philip had courage to stand and confidence to speak, but it wasn't in his own oratorical skills. He was confident because he could give this man answers from the word of God. He was confident because he could give him a reason for the hope that was within him and could do so with gentleness and with meekness and with kindness, like 1 Peter 3 calls us to in verse 15. And that's the link between last week and this week, that's the link. Would you be found ready as Philip was when an opportunity comes your way to stand and to speak? And to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And that's the question of the day, right? That's what we're talking about this week. Do I have a diet of God's word feeding me in such a way that I was healthy? In such a way that I'm equipped? In such a way that I'm able to take a stand? Able to be bold? Able to grow? And able to change? And what I want to do is I want to show you why that's important why that's important, and I want to show you from God's Word. And the way that I'm choosing to do that this morning is to show you the fruit in the lives of people, of what comes about in our lives if we have a healthy diet of God's Word. I want to remind you why it's important. I I want to talk about how but quite frankly, I think there's some places you can go outside of this building right now. I think you could, I don't know if you saw in the blog post that I posted earlier this week or the, uh, the, the email that you got, but you can Google Bible study reading plans. You can get them chronologically, alphabetically. You can read the Bible in a year, the Bible in five years. You can read the Old Testament in a week. You can knock yourself out. I mean, you, could, you can make your own. You could do those things. So I'm not going to take a ton of time. I trust that you're able to do that if you have an internet connection or know someone who does. I don't want to talk so much about how I want to talk a lot about why. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because in my own life, personally walking with the Lord, and also in ministry, I rarely come across somebody who, do, who has waxed cold in their Bible reading because they've forgotten how. I come across a lot of people who forget why. How does it, I just forgot how to open it. Do you open it from the, uh, like that's never happened to me. But I'll tell you a lot of people who forget why. A lot of people forget what, what is it about this book that's going to cause it to stand out from others on my shelf? What is it about this book that's going to keep it off my shelf? I'm never going to put it up there as a little token of a book, great book that I read one day and I put it back up there. What is it about this book that's different besides maybe gold pages or a leather bound cover or or, or something like that? What is different? Why should I read it and always read it? Why have a consistent diet of the word of God? Because if you lose your focus on the why behind anything, it just becomes drudgery. You just quit before long. And maybe you'll come back to it when you have some time later on. But if you don't have a solid why, an answer to the why, why read this, why get up earlier, why memorize, why take time to look at God's word, you'll set it aside just like anything else in life. Do I have a diet of God's word feeding me? So let's get right to it. Now, the question isn't one that's cute and pithy. Oh, a diet. The food metaphor is intentional and it isn't mine. It's found in the word of God. If you look at Matthew chapter four and verses three and following, as it is in your outline, you'll see what Jesus says to Satan when he's being tempted. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, he had been fasting. And since he was fasting, it would stand to reason that he was obviously hungry. So Satan comes along and says, if you're the son of God, why not eat? Hey, son of God, riddle me this. If you can do anything, right? You're the God man. Why don't you make these stones bread? Why do this hungry? Come on, go ahead and do that. And Jesus answers to quote scripture and he says man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, yeah, I'm I'm hungry. I'm very hungry. But that's not top priority. That's not my greatest need. That's not what I live on. It's really not all about food. It's about the word of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible doesn't describe itself as this optional snack. This little hors d'oeuvre, this something you can add to your life. Make sure that you worship passionately. Make sure that you plug into a small group. Make sure you have fellowship with other believers. Make sure you pray. And sure, read a little, why don't you? You won't find that. The Bible's not this optional little snack that we can just add on. Sure, have you saved room for dessert? Will we be having dessert today? It's not this optional little add-on. It is very sustenance. It sustains us. You cannot live without it. And sometimes we live our lives, I think, like we really like the Bible. Maybe even love it. But we set it aside because we think in some way, shape, or form, we have a more pressing need. We think in some way, shape, or form, even though it's like... It's not that we don't like the Bible... Uh, but we think what we really need now is something different. So we're going to, I got to cut down on something. I'll cut down on the Bible and add this. And I'm not saying you're adding something that's evil in and of itself. I'm going to cut down on the Bible and add crack cocaine. am n- n- not accusing you of that. I'm just saying we cut down on the Bible and add in something that we see as helpful, and very well may be, and see as necessary, and very well may be. I'm just asking you to not make the mind shift to ever, ever, ever think that anything you have to do in this life is more important. Than the Word of God. Don't let your mind go there. Don't let your mind go there. Even when it comes to food, the very thing God created to sustain our physical bodies, here Christ says that in and of itself, it's not enough. What we really need is the Word. It's one of many examples where Jesus takes our value system, our economy, what we view as most important. It's how God created us. Food is pretty important. And he turns it on its head, or he does a little rearranging and says, actually, move it here and put the word here. John four 34, we'll look at that a little later. But Jesus uh, speaks to his disciples. His disciples come back. They go into town to get food. Come back, they go, Rabbi, eat. He says, you know what? Uh, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And the disciples are like, all right. Okay, well, we're going to eat, you know. He's saying, This is what I live for. This is what drives me. See how important it was for you to go into that town and get food? Not a sin. That's how important it is for me, Jesus says, to do the will of my Father. What about you? Under what circumstances, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, do you find yourself tempted to believe the lie that you can live without the Word of God? Now, as human beings, we certainly have needs that we need to tend to. Don't, don't, the, the application of this point is not, you know, don't eat lunch today. How can, how can we eat lunch when well, you've got to read the Bible? It's not saying to ignore the fact that we have these needs. We certainly have needs that we need to tend to. food. Clothing. We we need to make money in order to, 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 to function in this life. But it's a mind shift. Don't ever be tempted to believe you have a greater need than a consistent, regular diet of every word of God. It's not an add-on. It's not a do we have time have we saved room for dessert? It's the main course. It's sustaining you. It will sustain you in the Christian life. And nothing will change you like the word of God. Hanging out with the godliest person you know is really good. Really good. Do that. It's not going to change you like the word of God. Nothing will change you like the word of God. Nothing will grow you like the word of God. Nothing will give you courage. Nothing will give you confidence. Nothing will prepare you for greatness in God's kingdom like the word of God. Nothing. It sustains us. It sustains us. And next, not only is it sustaining us, but the word of God sanctifies us, making us more like our Savior and less like ourselves. And this is something you hear a lot about in our church because we're pretty excited. If you're new here, welcome. We're really excited about sanctification. We love being more like Jesus. We love growing. We love changing. We think that happens best in small groups. We have a biblical counseling ministry because we love helping people change and grow. We love helping you help people change and grow, which is why we do an annual counseling training conference. Suffice it to say, we're like really pumped up about changing and growing here. We love sanctification and the word of God sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus than anything else. Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, every human being has been created in the image of God. Every one of them. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone and they're just a spitting image of someone who's gone before them? Or someone who's older than them, right? Oh, you're a spitting image of your mother. Oh, you look just like your dad. That facial expression, the way you carry yourself, you walk just... My, my, my mom says, I walk like my dad on the beach. She said, when you walk, when, when, I, when I'm sitting in a chair and you walk to the ocean, she said, you walk just I can't explain it. I just think of your dad. You walk like your dad on the beach. Okay, just, just the way I walk. That's Genetics. Do you ever meet somebody who looks a lot like another family member, but doesn't act like them at all? Genetics have caused them to, oh, you have have your, your mother's eyes, you have your dad's smile, you have your dad's walk. But you may not think like them, may not reason like them, you may not see life the same way they see life. Friends, every human being has been created in the image of God. It's what separates us from garden tomatoes. But just by being a human being it doesn't mean we're going to think like God. It doesn't mean we're going to reason like God. It doesn't mean we're going to view life how God views life. In fact, there's enough verses in the scriptures to tell you you'll view it the exact opposite. Everyone's born in the image of God. But it's by the putting off of the old self and putting on the new self. In Colossians 3.10 saying, by being renewed in knowledge, that's what makes me not look more like God, but act more like Jesus Christ and think more like Jesus Christ. So I don't just look like my heavenly father. I don't just look like daddy. I think like him. I view life like him and less like myself. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and following, all all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I've said this before. It gets me really excited whenever I come across this verse because that Greek word that's rendered complete in in your Bibles or adequate, or if you have an old King James, perfect. It's only used there in the entire New Testament. It reminds me the only thing the only thing in this life that can make me complete, can make me equipped for every good work, is the word that is God-breathed, the word of God. 2 Peter 1 and verse 3 says, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain in life, uh, to, to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. John eight thirty one says, Jesus told the Jews if you, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. First John 2, verses 3 and following. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. These are bold statements. These are prerequisites. These are in and out. You say you're in the kingdom, you're going to look like this. You say you love Jesus, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to abide in the word of God and walk as he walked. What about you? Can you look back on your life and say, you know, I've spent time in God's word, whether you were saved yesterday or whether you were saved years ago. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus Christ, can you look back on your life and say, I've had a healthy diet of God's Word in my life so much so that I'm, I'm different now. I, 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 not only, I, not, I don't only look like my Heavenly Father and that I'm created in His image, but I think like Him, I act like Him, I reason like Him. Now, before you answer, let me warn you against the non-answer. Here's the non-answer. Maybe you've experienced this in conversations you've had with other people. Maybe you've said this already. If so, I'm poking at you. So, are you, do you spend time in the Word? Well, not as much as I should. Yeah, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, who among us spends as much time as we should? That, that's, that's a non-answer. Do you see that that's a non-answer? So, do you look more like Jesus today than you did when you were first, when you were first saved? Well, not as much as I should. Non-answer. Nobody looks as much as they should answer the question really think about it we all know you're not per- so you may not answer i hereby forbid you I, I i forbid you when someone says how'd you walk with the lord well not walking as close as i wish you would. well yeah i know captain obvious thank you hey who'd you say is buried in grant's tomb i'm gonna go with grant I, I i know these things but think about it don't just well i ain't perfect yeah no kidding neither am i it's a non-answer do you understand that? Non-answer. It's easy. Well, you know what I just see see myself as so different from the Lord. Yeah, well, you are. I just want to know if you're becoming less different, if you're becoming a little more like him. Are you becoming a little more like him? Well, I ain't perfect. Oh. Oh, you're not. Oh, he's not perfect. Don't fall into the ditch of the non-answer. Are you more like Jesus today than you were in days gone by? Has the word of God had that effect on you? No, not answers. Are you changing? Are you walking in the same way in which he walked? More so than you used to? No, not answers. Do you see this, this living word having a life changing effect on you? You say, you know what? I think of things differently. I don't respond to life situations the same way I used to. I used to flip out a lot, I flip out less. I used to, I used to get angry really, really easily. And I see God growing me in self control. I used to respond, I, I used to fall to this uh, sinful pattern, and now it's, it's gone or significantly reduced. There's things that used to be named in my life that are no longer named in my life because the truth of the word of God has had an effect on me. Can that be said of you? Not perfect. Can that be said of you? A healthy diet of the word of God in our life will bring these things about. Perfectly when you get to heaven and progressively now. Perfectly when you get to heaven, but you'll be in process now. Do you see yourself in that process to some degree? Has it produced within you a love? 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 says that knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. So I'm not saying, do you know the word of God? But is there a love within you that shows that, wow, he, he loves the word of God. She loves the word of God. She's, she's seeking to feed on it. She's seeking to grow from it. And that love has brought about change. What about you? For the remainder of our time, what I would like to do is ask you to turn to John chapter 4. And what I would like to do is spend some time looking at the account of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. You say, why? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to see um, some more of what the Word of God should be doing to us if we have a healthy spiritual diet and are feeding on it consistently. What I'm going to propose to you is simply this. If the Word of God can have the effect on the woman at the well that it did in one sitting... It ought to have that effect on you over and over and over and over and over and over again if you're feeding on it regularly. That's what I want to try to show you. If the word of God can have the effect on the Samaritan woman at the well that it did in one sitting, how much more would it have an effect on us who can feed on it regularly, regularly, regularly? So let's take a look at John chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. Give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband, so what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, well, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, Come. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there four days. And many more believed, and look at this, verse 42, they said to the woman, Hey, just so you know, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Now that's quite a story. Let's walk through it together and look at some of the highlights so that we can apply it to our context today and what we're talking about when it comes to having a diet of the word of God and that word at work in our lives. Uh, In the beginning of John chapter 4, we read in in verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. So if you looked at a map, he, that's the quickest way to go from point A to point B. And nowadays, when you're on a road trip and you say, let's just drive 25 minutes out of the way because it's more scenic, or I don't like driving through that area. I prefer country road over interstate or something like that. Well, that's not an option here, really, at least not a practical one, because they're walking, right? So you go the quickest route from point A to point B, so they head through Samaria. Now, Jesus stops at the well. Why? Because he's tired. Rest stop, right? Right? Jesus' day, rest stop. He stops there. Disciples go into town to get food. He says, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just chill out here. And we're told that it was the sixth hour. So, just so you picture it, the sixth hour is actually high noon. High noon. Because in Jesus' day, they would start counting time at 6 a.m. Six plus six is 12. So, very good. And, and so, so that would mean that it's high noon, arguably the hottest part of the day. And Jesus is sitting there, resting. The word of God says, because he was weary. Okay, now if you look at verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus has a great opening line. And it's not, you know, that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's not, how are you and God? It's, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Or watch... Disciples went to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, verse 9, How is it that you are a Jew and you stop here to ask a drink of water from me? A woman of Samaria. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans, what we see in the parentheses at the end of verse 9. Then, now, watch this, please, just humor me. Verse 10. So, so, get the picture. Jesus, give me a drink. She's like, Why would you ask? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How, how, really? Wow. How, why are you even doing this? Jesus' response. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. <laughs> is that odd to you at all? So, here, give me a drink. Why are you asking me for a drink? If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. Now, we know her history with men. We read that at the end of the story. So She's probably like, "What? Well, check you out, right? Check you. Wow. So so you're asking me for water. Then you're telling me that you have awesome water. What is, how how does this even work? What do you think she's thinking at that time? Who is this guy? Verse 13, Uh, excuse me, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Verse 11, woman said to him, yeah, well, you know what? I would have asked you, but you didn't bring a ladle. You don't have a bucket? You don't have, like, how would I ask you? You don't even bring anything to draw with. Like, why would I ask you? The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And you saying you're greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, drank from it himself. So did his family, his livestock. And Jesus said to her, look at verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. So she's like, okay, okay, okay. Let's go to the tape first you're a Jew you're asking me a Samaritan to give you water then you're telling me that it's like totally awesome that I would be asked by you then you're telling me that you have water that's better than mine go get it what what is going on the woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know what? Well, let's turn the tables, she says. You know what? How about you give me the water so that I won't have to be thirsty and I'll have to come here to draw water. Verse 16, she, Jesus, total curveball. Go call your husband, then come back. And she's all, uh, I, have, I have no husband. And that's when Jesus says, yeah, that's uh, technically true. You've had five. The one you have now is not your husband. So you're working on the whole six times a charm thing. So technically you've answered correctly. You don't have a husband. So here's what I'm thinking. Just verse 15. You know what? Give me this water so that I won't have to come back here. Jesus was on his way. He stops at this well. It doesn't really matter the time of day, right? He stops at this well because that's when he came across it. It was time for a rest stop. Why is she coming to a well at high noon, the hottest part of the day, when traditionally people would gather water in the earlier parts of the day, right? Because it was a very laborsome task. So it's a labor-intensive task. So they go get their water for for the day in the earlier part of the day. Or maybe in the later part of the afternoon or evening, they go and gather water so they can have it with them through the night. Why at high noon? She's a social outcast. Uh, She's not interested in being there when other people are there. She's not interested in going there when everybody else would go. She goes when she can go incognito. She goes when she can go by herself. Well, you know what, Jesus? Verse 15, your water's so great. Do me a favor. Hook me up. I don't have to ever come back here again. And Jesus, right then and there, says, Go call your husband. Strikes at the heart of the issue. Says, Yeah, I know. Five husbands, they didn't work out. You're with a guy now and you haven't married him. Yeah, I know you have no husband. And then look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But do you see the subject change in verse 20? She's like, wow, you're good. Uh, uh, but anyway, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. See, she keeps going back to, we're different, we're different, we're different. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we're different. And she's thinking water, horizontal, practical, here and now. And Jesus is not thinking about here and now, he's, he's thinking about the vertical, the relationship between her and God, what she needs. And she says, I perceive you are a prophet. But that aside, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Let's take the focus off of me and my past. This is super weird. Let's go back to the fact that I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship where people ought to worship. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where it's not going to be about a mountain. It's not going to be about a city. It's not going to be about a Jew. It's not going to be about a Samaritan. But that God will call true worshippers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that hour is now. And the woman said in verse 25, well, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're looking at him. I want you to see that the word of God transforms how we see. The word of God transforms how we see, how, what we see, how we view this life, how we view this world, how we interpret circumstances. Because up until then, she was just not getting it at all, right? You're asking me for water, but you've got super awesome water, and, 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 and that doesn't make any sense, and oh, here's just another, I hate men, just, just, just another dude, it's ridiculous. And all of a sudden, right then, in a skinny minute, he says, I who speak to you am he, She's like, you know what? You know what? When Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. Thank you. Back to my water. I who speak to you am he. And her life has changed. The way she now sees that, she's not talking to a nut. She's talking to the Messiah. She's not talking to someone who has this, you know, asking for water and random, just like, what is going on? Now, all of a sudden, she... It's Jesus. The Word of God transforms the way you interpret life. The Word of God transforms the way you interpret situations in your life. You don't see them as coincidental, you see them as providential. You don't see them as just haphazard, you see them as coming through the hands of an almighty sovereign God. You don't look at your life, even the hardest trials you're going through. You don't think, oh, you know what? This just happens because if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You know that Jesus is with you. You know that God is with you. You know that his Holy Spirit is in you. And it doesn't make things all easy, but it makes them a lot better because I'm not going through life alone. And when the word of God has an effect on you, it changes what you see. The whole time Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman, they're just missing each other. Just totally missing each other. In the previous chapter, it happened the same thing, right? With Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, You must be born again. Nicodemus' question is it possible for me to enter my mother's womb a second time? Okay, so arguably the most awkward moment of Nicodemus' life, clearly. But he obviously didn't get what Jesus was talking about. See, it just happens like spiritual, physical, uh, horizontal, this life, vertical. Jesus is trying to take us to understand something bigger, something greater. And the Word of God changed the way that woman viewed that situation and changed her life forever. So much so, look at verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I have ever done. Please watch this. Okay? She came to the well. It, it kind of makes me laugh that at the end of the story no one gets water. But, but anyway, she came to the well. <laughs> like, did you ever notice that? Hashtag you had one job, right? Like she came to the well with this empty water water jar to fill it up. One job. One job. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. What's her response? Verse 28. You know what she does? Uh, I've got to go. Puts that water jar down. And runs and tells people in the town who I think you could make an argument from the text that she was avoiding. But her life's been changed by God's word. And she goes into the town and comes into the presence of these people all of whom would have known her As the six times a charm lady. And she says, you got to come and see. You've got to come and see. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She now highlights, this guy is so cool because he knows my past. And they're like, everyone knows your past. (laughs) No, it's different. You've got to come and see. It's the Christ. It's the Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Come and see. He knows everything I've ever done. Come and see. Come and see. Because the word of God changes what we see and changes what we seek. Changes what we look after, changes what we pursue. She's now dies to self. And that's, I've gotta tell people, come and see, come and see Jesus, you've gotta come and see him. He's told me everything I've ever done. Come and see, Could could this be the Christ? It's amazing. Can this be said of you? Do you feed enough on God's word? Have a diet of God's word at work in your life that it changes how you interpret life? That which you used to interpret as bad, you now see as opportunistic. That which you used to interpret as a a, a total mystery, you now say, you know what? It's still a mystery, but I know someone who has answers. Word of God transforms our hearts, changing what we see and what we seek. Developing a routine of feasting on God's Word regularly, consistently, will embolden you to tell others about Jesus like nothing else. And that's what gives you courage. That's what gives you confidence. Confidence. That's what takes the weight off your shoulders. You don't have to convince people that Jesus is good. The Holy Spirit's at work within you. He'll do that. You go and speak. You have courage to stand. You have confidence to speak. But you're going to have to point them to something greater than yourself. Because on my best day, my best day, I'm really just all right. I don't want people looking to me. I want them looking to God. Looking to God and his word. Giving people hope in God's Word. Then in verse 31, the disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Nobody likes that guy, right? The guy on the road trip who's hoarding the secret snack. (laughs) You know, when you're on the road trip and someone else is like, Oh, wow, do you get checks mixed? Yeah, I'm, I, uh, yeah. I mean, you want some? That guy? You've been on that trip with that guy? I have food to eat that you do not know about. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, look at verse 35. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. What would they have been looking at? Lift up your eyes. These Samaritans are coming. Lift up your eyes. It's working. Lift up your eyes. People are coming to Christ. The field is ripe for harvest. And they're pro- I know they're probably like, yeah, well, we're going to eat. But then we see in verse 39 that many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what? The woman's testimony. Why? Because the word of God changed her life. I want to call our worship teams up now. And I want to call your attention to the fact that Jesus Christ In this account, he didn't walk on water. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't make a blind person see. He didn't make a lame person walk. Do you know what changed this woman's life? His word. Can that be said of you? You you just got to be in this. I mean, you've got to be in this. You've got to understand the Word of God. Well, I don't know it perfectly. Yeah, come here. You've got to understand it. You've got to have a working knowledge of the Word of God because it gives you boldness. It gives you confidence. It gives you the heart to sacrifice that we're calling us to, to live this life with meaning and with hope and to give others hope, to give others help, to point them to something greater than hope in this life, but hope in the next Only the Word of God consistently reminds you of these things and calls the why, why am I doing this, the why back to your minds. Why am I living differently? He'll remind you. He'll remind you. And it's my prayer and my hope that the the consistent healthy diet of the Word of God in your life would give you these things and enable us to do great and mighty things for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, to give others hope, the same hope that you've been given in Jesus Christ, the same hope that the woman was given in the word of God, it's my hope and my prayer that Grace Fellowship Church will be filled with people who are empowered and emboldened to do the same. Father, we come before you so grateful for the spirit at work within us. So grateful for the spirit of the living God, for what he's done in our lives. He's opened our eyes to truth. Opened our eyes to Jesus Christ. Given us boldness, given us confidence. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us and that we would hang on every word. Because, Lord, you remove fear and give confidence. You remove helplessness and give hope. And most importantly, you take care of our greatest need in Jesus Christ. And we know people need him more than anything. Change what we see. Change what we seek. And make us bold for your name's sake. Amen.